Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another Tour Life episode here. This week, I'm actually joined by one, the only, Hunter Thomas. We're running it back, baby. It's been a while. Yeah, it just feels like old school debate night. I know, pretty <laughs> About much. About the same uh, time, too. It's very similar. Um, we'll see how long we go. I don't know if we'll be <laughs> doing a three-plus-hour episode this week, but... Um, yeah, we have Hunter Thomas back with us. Uh, he, If you don't listen to him and Trevor over on Griplocked, make sure to go check that out. It gives They give you more of a journalistic uh, analyst, I guess, approach to the game, kind of on more on the spectator side, where me and Yuli are coming more on the player side. Uh, but Yuli, speaking of which, uh, feeling a little bit under the weather, texted me not too long ago saying that he kind of wasn't feeling too great during his practice round today. Um, and is currently at urgent care, I believe, trying to get some medicine or whatever it may be to try to be able to play this week. So give your T's and P's over to Yuli on Twitter, Instagram. Hopefully you can recover and be able to play tomorrow. Speaking of playing tomorrow, I had no idea. Do you know the schedule this week, Hunter, of like what tournaments were, what courses we're playing? Like the order courses? Yeah. For MPO. Is it not Eureka, Northwood, Northwood, Eureka? No, it definitely is. And I definitely okay. thought it was Northwood, Northwood, Eureka, Eureka. So like oh. literally I'm I'm sitting here with the guys going through the show and I'm like, guys, we play Eureka tomorrow. They're like, what? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I was planning on driving to Northwood, but we are playing Eureka tomorrow. So that will is be that the how schedule. It, was here? it feels like it wasn't. It feels like last year was last year. It felt like we did Northwood, Northwood, Eureka, Eureka, but I could be completely wrong. And I'm sure some will, someone will probably correct me if I, if I am actually wrong or not on that. Mm. Um, but that, that is the uh, schedule. We'll get to Ledgestone here in a little bit. There were three events last week. So we're going to run through all three different events. We'll probably spend a little bit more time on the mid America open, which actually happened here in the States. The other two events were uh, in Europe. Then we'll kind of run through some of the new uh, PDGA um, rule rules that they're throwing out there. It sounds like it doesn't seem like it's they're locked in stone yet, but it's kind of like they make these adjustments and then we get, get feedback from their members and then they kind of move forward. I don't know how much they actually will listen to the people. Um, but we'll see. We'll see about that. I also do want to run through the disc golf pro tour rankings. We haven't done that in a while. And so we'll kind of see where people are, who's on the bubble. This is the second to last, or this is the second and last elite plus event. So a lot of points are on the table at this event. And then a couple weeks from now, we'll be going to Deglo, which will be the first playoff event, which also will have a lot of points. So a lot of points here in the next couple events. Then we'll obviously go through Ledgestone, like I said, and then we have some listener questions to end out the podcast. But before we go any further, uh, this week's episode is sponsored by Paragon. All your tournament directors or clubs looking for your basic necessities, Paragon is here for you. If you need t-shirts, hoodies, hats, bag tags, T-signs, tents, flags, course signage, or fully, fully sublimated jerseys, look no further. Paragon is more than just printers. They are partners in disc golf as well. They sponsor many big events like the 2023 AM Worlds, 2022 Junior and Master Worlds. They have also worked with many other events over the years and continue to meet 
the ever-changing needs of the sport. So if you're looking for any of that good stuff, look no further. Paragon, we print disc golf. So thanks to our friends over at Paragon. Go support them because they support this show. Uh, All right, a few things I want to get off the top before we jump in. I made a take last week about bowling. And I, I, I got, I didn't realize we had so many avid bowling listeners on this, <laughs> on this podcast. So I was getting bombarded with some comments. I understand the oil patterns. I understand too, that you don't actually bowl on the same lane every single time you switch lanes. So this lane might have this oil pattern. This lane might have this oil pa- pattern. So I understand that there is a little bit of a difference or variance, if you will. But my, my point, I think still stands that for the most part, there isn't that much strategy when it comes to bowling. It's, it's really just execute. There isn't too much of like, Oh, I need to pick this. And maybe there is, and maybe we'll, maybe I have to get a bowl, a bowler to a bowler, a professional bowler. Maybe I have to get someone to come on and tell me all the, uh, small strategies that I don't know, but to me, it, it does seem like a game or a sport that there isn't too much thought process of like what you're going to do. It's more just, can you execute it? And it, it's similar to darts in that manner too, of where like you step up to a dart board and there's not too much strategy. It's just like, can you throw it where you're trying to aim? I could be completely wrong. I don't think I am. I think it's a. I think it's a little more sure, little more strategic than darts. But I would. Yes. I don't know what your. I don't know what your take originally was. But I would think bowling is kind of like playing disc golf on a course you know really well, where like you already know the shots, so you don't really have to strategize off the tee. You just have to execute what's out there. And yes, it's going to ask a lot of different shots, but you just step up and throw. You don't have to think. That's how I would yeah. think. Of it. I, I can't remember. It, it was during Stokely's interview when he came on the show. I can't remember exactly what we were talking about, but I do want to apologize for any bowlers out there listening. Uh, very difficult. I understand it. It, it is very I'm difficult. If I go right now and I, and I go like, uh, I probably will bowl like a 140, and I would be very, very stoked about that. So I understand how hard it is. I was not trying to put your sport down. So apologies. Um, the other story that I need to kind of get off my chest here because it, it got a little bit out of control. The aces, the six aces in one day. Um, if you're listening and you still believe that I ace hole 10 at Northwood, then Ezra ace hole 16 at Northwood, then Calvin ace hole 17 at Northwood with a tomahawk that exploded his putter in the basket. Then you believe that we also went over to Lake Eureka afterwards and played another round there where we went back to back to back aces in a row on hole 17. I'm here to tell you that those things did not happen. And if you believe that they did, I I don't know what to tell you. There was a lot of clues in the captions there was a lot of clues on the Instagram stories. And I thought, you know, 
it got to the point where I was like, guys, there are people thinking this is happening. We got, we got to make this seem even more ridiculous. So people don't, you know, get the wrong idea here. Now, how did this all come about? And that that's maybe a question that people have, like what, 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 uh, led us to where we are today? Well, we were playing Northwood. If you haven't seen the video, it was me, Calvin, and Ezra. We were playing triples, worst shot. Probably the most difficult course to do that in the world. It was around hole seven or eight. And at this point, we were getting kind of delirious a little bit. Calvin kind of mentioned later in the day, you, you'll see in Ezra's video about there, there was a little bit of lack of water. There might have been some dehydration going on. And we might not have been all there mentally with the amount of shots we had <laughs> thrown and all that stuff. So Ezra had mentioned that he had aced hole 10 with a forehand skip shot on Monday when he was out here practicing by himself. Me being the good friend that I am immediately said that he was lying and there was no way. Now, obviously I was joking. I know Ezra wouldn't lie about something like that, but it's fun to kind of mess around and make him kind of squirm a little bit about me not believing him. So then we just got to the point of like thinking, okay, do you think there's anyone out there that actually like says they aced a hole when they didn't? Because we know different type of aces, right? Hunter, there's different types of aces. Yeah. Do you, would you tell someone you aced a hole if you were playing a practice round and it was your third shot off the tee? Would you I would say that, you, with that if I could say like, I would like I aced it on my third shot off the tee. I wouldn't, I wouldn't like count it in my faces. Okay. So we kind of were talking about like, do you think anyone ever posts a photo? Cause we were like, it, it's not that hard to just like stand in front of a basket, hold up a disc and like put your finger out and just take a photo. Right. And so we were like, I wonder if anyone ever does that. And then Again, dehydrated, delirious at this point. And then we were just like, I wonder if like people would just blatantly be believing everything and not be skeptical at all. So the point I think at the end of all this is if anyone ever posts a photo of them just acing it and there's no witnesses, there's no one around, be skeptical. <laughs> and maybe post in the comments, video, I need video proof or something. I don't know. When, we'll when, when you concocted this whole plan, did you expect people not to believe your, when you just did it? Plan is a strong word here. It wasn't, there wasn't really <laughs> a plan. We were kind of just running it by the seat of our own pants. Uh, but were you, would you ask if we, was it, were you thinking of going beyond like beyond just your ace? Or do you think you were just going to post your ace and see if people bought it? No, because I knew people were going to buy it if it was just one ace. So it was going, the plan was one ace and then Ezra aces and then Calvin aces on 16, 17. So that was kind of so that was the plan from the beginning. That was the plan from the beginning. And the idea too was after, after Ezra's ace, we wanted to, or during Ezra, or like on the, comments of Ezra's ace and I can pull it up real quick. We wanted to make sure that we like put some stuff on there to kind of like lead people to be like, wait, what's going on? Um, so I hashtagged it with what the heck is happening. So I guess you could theoretically at this point still believe it after two aces. Now 
when we went to Calvin's ace, I hashtagged, you can't make this up. <laughs> and then when, and then when I went to the, all of our back-to-back aces, I hashtagged stuff you dream about. I also had a photo of um, the three discs in the basket as proof that they all made it. I also shared one of the posts with Nelly. It was just a dream song playing in the background. And then also when someone said, um, why didn't you film it? Like after the second ace back to back, like why didn't you film the third person? I said that our phone, all of our phones died. And then they asked, (laughs) how did you take the photo then? And then I didn't respond. So (laughs) that is the ace story. Uh, don't believe everything you see on the internet folks. Uh, but for those that followed along and enjoyed the, the, the fun journey of me, Calvin and Ezra that day, I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. And, um, and yeah, for the people that were like, Oh, you were doing it for the clicks and views again. Every time I post a disc golf post like that, I lose hundreds of views. So I think Ezra and Calvin actually gained a decent amount of followers from that. So that was good for them. So they were doing Um, it for the views. Well, they, I mean, I, I posted it on my feed, so it's tough to say that they were doing it for the views when it was, I was doing it. Maybe I was, you had me, you had me through two aces. That's where you second ace. I still believed. Okay. The third one is when I was like, yeah, that's no way. Okay. All right. Fair point. Because the second one was like six holes later, and 16 is a very aceable hole. So, like, yes. there was nothing, you know, that could happen. Mm-hmm. But Calvin's ace on 17 is so like, okay, you're having to get that. That was kind of my thought process was like, we could gap it out really well to where people people are like, oh, well, this is actually possible. Like, they're, they're playing whole, like, this is, they posted an hour ago. So, who knows? This actually could happen. So, um, but yeah, again, if anyone got their feelings hurt or what, I don't know, whatever. I don't really <laughs> care. Like if you got your feelings hurt about some posts on Instagram, whatever. Um, okay. Let's go into mid America here. Mid America recap. Um, and then for those that are just tuning in to the live here on YouTube, Yuli is sick. So Hunter was able to fill in for him uh, last second notice. So we are thankful for Hunter to be here. So you guys don't have to listen to just me talk this entire time. All right, let's talk about mid America open. It went down one of, uh, you know, a course that I haven't played. I haven't been to, but a course that a lot of people have high praise for harmony bins, uh, a course that a lot of people talk about as being one of their favorite courses. A lot of pros love it. Hunter, what are your thoughts on the course itself? Do you have any, Intel on it. I'm, I don't think you've played it before, but any Intel on it? No, I haven't played it. It all seems like a great course. It seems like a course that can hold a full pro tour. I think the only problem I've ever seen with the course is it's very susceptible to flooding as mm-hmm. we saw again this past weekend. Um, but no, I don't, I don't think that um, I don't think there's anything wrong with the course. I think it's a gorgeous property. I think it challenges a bunch of different shots and seems to play really, really well on tour every time they go there. Um, but yeah, it does just seem to be an unfortunate, I think one year due to snow and like March. And then obviously this year was like thunderstorms and stuff. It's never been like a consistent thing, but it has been unfortunate a few times, but the property looks absolutely gorgeous. It seems like a great design and it always seems to play pretty well. Uh, stroke separation, everything. So I think of course. 
Yeah. And my first year on tour, when I was kind of planning out my schedule, Paul was helping in like, do this court, play this tournament, not this tournament. And what he said on this tournament was pretty much exactly what ended up going down is harmony bins is an awesome course. If you actually get to play that course for the tournament and the majority of the time you do not, you play this like backup course because it floods and it's unplayable and the backup course sucks. So not worth it to go there, which is sad. But again, we saw this, this year, uh, I believe they only ended up playing a portion of the course because a handful of the holes um, weren't actually playable for some of the rounds. So I don't know if there is anything you can do about it. It is a course that I would love to go, but it is also just with how it's, it was scheduled this year. It wasn't really scheduled great for me to kind of roll the dice and go out there. So we'll see maybe next year if they schedule it differently moving forward. but. Uh, as of right now, it's, it's a tournament that's kind of like a 50, 50 on whether or not you're actually going to play it. So looking at the leaderboard though, we have Andrew Presnell and Gannon Burr going into a playoff after Andrew birdied the last four, five holes to get into the playoff. Both of them end up shooting nine under rounds on the final day, uh, for 24, uh, 24 under for the entire tournament. They ended up playing hole 18, which from looking at it again, you know, there's just from an outsider's perspective, I've never played the course. It looks like one of the better holes on the course. And so they ended up playing hole 18 and we'll get a little bit into what ended up going down with Gannon there, but Andrew was able to take it down. And this was Andrew's uh, first, first really big win on tour. Um, he talked about how this was like, a moment that he's been kind of preparing for, or I guess practicing for, for seven years in his post conference or his post uh, press conference. Uh, he led the field in strokes gain T to green fairway hits scramble rate rate. And he had no OB strokes. Uh, he is also, this is kind of nuts. He's also now the sixth player this year to win for the first time in their career on tour. So there's been six first time winners this year alone. So a lot of parody, a lot of different guys coming up and, and getting it done. And the crazy thing with, with Presnell's game is I didn't watch too much of the coverage this week, but I saw some clips here and there and I tuned in a little bit for the live. The crazy thing about his game is he, I don't, I don't know who, who shies away from the forehand more him or James Conrad. It would be, it'd be very interesting to see the, between the two, but the clip I saw, he had a disc and it was a clear and obvious forehand that there was a tree directly in front of him. And it was like, you, you put your left foot there, you step out with your right foot and you throw a forehand around it. And he was lining it up for a little bit and was like, Nope, I'm going back to what I know. And ended up throwing this like fade away, like did a run up and then like threw and like no follow through fade away. It was a throw I've never seen before and perfected it through it perfectly. And I was like, all right, this guy, this guy's on one right now. So Andrew Presnell, what are your thoughts on, on him taking it down uh, this past week? It's not surprising to see him, him take one down, especially in the fashion he did. I think he said he led T to greens and that kind of been always his strength. I remember on Twitter, 
I forget we were tweeting about something uh, it's been a while ago, or I guess on X now. Um, we were what you said tweeting a while ago, and um, something about an underrated fairway driver. I don't remember what exactly it was, but I said something about oh. an un- underrated fairway driver. Yes, and he responded back and said myself and then like had a screenshot of his stats because he's just so good at fairways and no one talked hitting fairways and no one talked about it. Um, and that was like my introduction to a, just interacting with him in general, but B also made me be like, is there more to Andrew Presnell than we think? Cause at the end of the day, he's kind of a forgettable player to be honest with you. Like you, you look in the field, he doesn't seem like someone that stands out on the list. He definitely relies heavily on that backhand. He doesn't do anything like mind blowingly great. He's just always good is what it mm. seems like. So it's not surprising to see him win, but I think it probably caught a lot of people by surprise because he's not a name that you regularly hear towards the top and like in the mix, even though he probably deserves it. Yeah. And he, I think he had an all-star tweet. Like you said, he, if you don't follow him on Twitter, he's actually a good follow. He doesn't tweet all that often, but when he does, they are, they are pretty good. So he made a tweet that said, Macbeth has Macbeth has beast mode. I have local beer B tier mode. I finally went local B tier mode at a disc golf pro tour event. I thought that was a pretty, pretty funny uh, tweet there by, by Prez. Um, but you're right. His game is not flashy. If you watch him, his game isn't very flashy at all. Uh, he, he has kind of an awkward putt of where it's like, it doesn't come out with a lot of spin and power, but it just ends up going into the basket most of the time. And so watching him, you're not going to get maybe the same reaction as some of the other names on tour, but he also has such a clean game. He doesn't ever really make massive mistakes. And of course, like mid America that suits the backhand off a lot of those holes and especially can get away with kind of throwing backhand turnovers when you don't have a forehand or one that you're comfortable throwing in a tournament. He made it work, man. And it wasn't like this was a tournament that, you know, he was able to just to kind of beat some other guys that are like mid-level tour players. No, he took down Gannon Burr in a playoff and Gannon Burr top five. Maybe some people will say one of the best players in the world right now. And uh, it was good, man. It was, it was really good to see from him because I know he is someone that works really, really hard at his game and he cares a lot. And it's, it's always nice to kind of see someone go out there and get a win like that. Um, do we, you want to talk about Gannon for a little bit and his post that he ended up making about what ended up going down? What, what were your takes on that? And maybe, maybe on let people know. Yeah. So he posted on Instagram kind of breaking yeah. down and it was interesting timing too. I will say this because most players, if you go and follow them on Instagram, most players wait until Monday, sometimes even Tuesday to, to make their kind of generic tournament recap. I believe he posted this a few hours after the tournament. So he wanted to get this out really, really quick. And he kind of talks about how he kind of makes an excuse, but then says, I'm not making any excuses for what ended up happening with the crowd control and how that final putt, I believe they said it was about 20 feet or so. Yeah. Super, super nervy looking ends up not making it. And he makes an Instagram post talking about how the crowd was kind of still moving and stuff. And he probably should have waited. What were your thoughts kind of on that? Once you read his post, it didn't line up with what my eyes saw. 
Um, I didn't when when I when I watched him in the playoff, it didn't look like a player who threw a distracted putt. It looked like a player through um a uncharacteristic nervy putt is what it looked like to me. Like it looked like a guy that was just nervous and missed a putt. It didn't really seem like I, I, I could be obviously wrong. I'm not gonna call Gannon a liar by any means, but it just when when he made that post, that was my initial reaction, is it didn't line up with what I had seen during coverage. Um but you know, I, I mean, you got to respect. There, there is something I think about players at the high end. They seem to have this like when a mistake happens, they either if it's a consistent mistake, like take ownership and fix it, or if it's not a consistent mistake, it's kind of a one-off. They have this way of putting it all the way to the back of their mind where it's like, that wasn't even my fault. And it can like be something as small as this. And I think it's just like a characteristic at times of like a, when a player is like at, at their best, almost at times they have this like mentality that they're not, that they can't do anything wrong, but almost like that was so uncharacteristic. Something had to have caused that because he's like, there's no shot. I just missed a 20 footer. And maybe this is what it led to. But I, I didn't exactly buy it when I first saw it, just because of what it looked like, which was just a player missing a really nerdy putt, is what it looked like. Could be wrong. Okay. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think people, it, it might just be a growing process too for a lot of people, right? Because I think something that actually is very, to me, like respect, like, something that gets get earns my respect is when someone is able to just own up to mistakes, own up to not playing well is own up to things not going their way. And obviously the excuse thing is always a weird one when you're, when you know, when you say like, well, yeah, I, I, I fell earlier today and twisted my ankle. And so I wasn't able to throw full power, but I'm not making excuses. This person still beat me. That person sitting over there is like, well, that's kind of like a slight at me. That's kind of making it sound like if you weren't injured, you would have beat me. So the whole, like, I'm not making excuses, but, and then you making an excuse, it's I'm never a fan of it and I've probably have done it in the past myself, but I think moving forward, I think players just need to get more comfortable and be okay with letting people know that they're not going to be perfect all the time. There, there are going to make mistakes. They are going to miss putts. They are going to throw this out of bounds. And as fans, we don't care. Like we, we, we're not going to all of a sudden not root for you or not think you're good at disc golf because you make a mistake like that. And so I think sometimes players are, are quick to kind of jump on social media and, and move the narrative to, Oh, I, I tweaked something when I was practicing. Oh, I was feeling under the weather. Oh, I was whatever. And it's like, I think it's okay to just say that you played bad. It's okay to just say that you messed up. So I don't know. We'll see. Uh, again, he's a super young kid that has getting gotten thrown into being one of the top players in the world. Probably. I've never been in that position myself, so I don't really know all the stuff that he's going through. I'm sure it's very difficult. He's got his, uh, you know, contract coming up as, as well. I'm sure he's thinking about all of that. 
And there's just probably a lot going on. And so no fault of him for kind of making that post, but I, I just hope in the future players are more open and okay with just letting people know exactly how they feel and what actually happened. And like you said, they might actually think like they might actually, that might be a tactic, right. Of like tricking themselves in like, I didn't mess up. It was someone else. So the next time they get in that situation, they don't think that they're going to mess up again because they're like, well, I, I missed this pup because this crow flew across me. Um, and as long as that crow doesn't fly across, I'll never miss a putt again. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. Uh, let's jump. Uh, is it, was there any really other storylines here? You know, Kyle Klein finishing the top five, Joseph Anderson, kind of a silver series killer. If that name sounds familiar, that was because he was towards the top of the Kansas city wide open a few weeks ago. Uh, when that term was going down, Nico Locascio, another name we haven't really talked about that much this year. He finished top five. Uh, is that maybe something to kind of look at moving forward? Cause Nico's kind of been like, I don't know what Nico has been doing this year. He hasn't been, I mean, he hasn't really been in contention too much. He's, I think he's had one or two strong finishes, but he hasn't been doing what expect of Nico. Uh, I did find it interesting on coverage. They were talking in the final round about that. The like assistant TD was out there. Cause Nico and Gannon were on the same car two notoriously low players. Mm. And apparently the assistant TD is out there with a stopwatch walking with them. Wow. Nothing came of it. Um, but I thought that was, I thought that was an interesting point they made during um, the live coverage there. No, Nico, I think he's been having a somewhat disappointing season. Um, you know, but we'll, we'll see. I think there's still a lot of season left. And I think this latter half of the season is, is geared more towards veterans. You go to a lot more courses. Like for instance, from what I saw Northwood Eureka this weekend seem completely unchanged from the past few years. Um, and we'll probably see a similar thing at Maple Hill, probably see a similar thing at Worlds. We'll probably see a similar thing at Idlewild. And that gives an advantage to tour veterans where mm. you have a lot of new guys that are just learning the courses still. And you can come in and a lot of practice and have to be on learning the course, but instead perfecting the shot you already know. Um, so it will be interesting to see kind of how he finishes this year. But up to this point, yeah, I don't. I think it's been subpar for a player of his caliber. A couple other names I do want to just mention: Freddie Mesa, maybe a name you haven't heard. He is a local to my the the Texas areas. I have played a lot of local tournaments with him. I've played a tournament with him one time where. I don't think he missed a putt inside of 50 feet the entire round. He, when his putting is on incredible, he had a great finish, moves up 20 spots, shooting a nine under final round, a great final round, 10 birdies, one bogey to jump him into the top 10. So keep an eye out on Freddie. Um, some other notable names in here. You got Gooseman. He finished in 10th. Joel Freeman was having a great tournament. He was, uh, he ended up finishing 18 under with a triple, uh, with a bogey triple finish. So he goes hmm. par par and he's sitting all of a sudden, uh, well, par par would have put him at what? 22 under. Yeah. So he would have, he would have finished in third. Uh, but yeah, triple, triple on number 18 kind of got him a little bit away from, uh, a top five finish there. Um, yeah, I mean there there are some guys on here too that you know you would probably expect to have finished a little bit higher up the leaderboard with how with how like 
not that many. I mean, there was only 45 people. Oh, they cut, they cut the field. That's right. They made it had a cut. The only 45 people ended up actually finishing. What are your thoughts on that? What are your thoughts on, uh, and I don't know if you know this story, finding out that there's a cut after the round. Was this because of the weather or was, yeah. was it like always planned? Yeah. I mean, I hate it, but I think nothing you can do. I, I don't, I don't, it's, a, it's probably a tough call for a T to make, but I would imagine that's not what they wanted to do, but it, it would suck as a player. I don't think it, I don't think it should be allowed in the PDGA rules, but I know there's weird rules when it comes to weather that kind of allow you to maneuver in ways that you wouldn't typically. The weird one to me was I, I heard that they didn't even adjust tee times. So that's where it was kind of weird. They cut the field, but then kept the tee times the same. That is weird. Yeah. So was it, but really... they, they had the, like the lead cards finished their round early in the morning though, final day. And then didn't they? Did it yeah. have something to do with that? Maybe so it might've been, it might've been to have to do that. Yeah. I'm not really quite sure, but I know like there was some maybe frustrations from some of the players. I'm sure, you know, you get yeah. off the course and you miss the cut by one or two and you had no idea there was a cut. Like, I don't know if this happened, but imagine having like a 40 foot death putt on 18 and you're like, I'm just going to lay this up and get out of here. And then you've come to find out well, you missed the cut by one. And you're like, oh, yeah. that, well, that, that would have been nice to know. So uh, not ideal, but again, just another weird one at this tournament. Um, moving over on the FPO side, we have Owen Scoggins taking it down, shooting the only bogey-free round in all of FPO the final day, shooting six under, finishing at 15 under, winning by two against Alexis Mandohano. Own Scoggins. This is her now second time winning her second disc golf pro tour silver win. Uh, she was first in strokes gained T to green third in strokes game putting, not, you know, nothing, nothing too crazy. That's kind of her MO being able to get the disc in play off the T and then putting really well and uh, takes it down again. Own. We haven't really seen her too much. A lot of these tournaments, the last few weeks, she was playing in masters events. I believe she uh, won world worlds, whatever it was age protected division and masters and own is a player that I think on, uh, I'll say this. I think own might be Kristen Tatar's biggest competitor on certain courses. Yes, I'd agree. I think she might be, I might, I think could be a hot take, but I think, she might be the only person that could beat Kristen Tatar this year when Kristen plays good on certain courses. I think on if certain, Kristen plays good, no one can. I think Own can on on shorter courses. I think on shorter courses, Own can go. Own can maybe beat her. I think. I, I think. I think she's she's our only hope. She's our only hope. Um, I, I mean, I wouldn't say only hope because I think. I mean, with. Page's injury, obviously, in the current state of FPO, possibly. But Katrina Allen, if she gets hot, um, I mean, even if Lena Sullivan makes her putts, uh, if Henna Blomroos puts a round together, Haley I'm, King I'm also. I'm, I'm out on Evelina and, and uh, Henna. I'm out. After European Open, I think I'm out, man. I can agree, so, but I just they have some, potential. <laughs> something has to they change. They could do it. Haley King, I, I buy Haley King. I'm with you on that. Katrina Allen, you're right. I think those two are good uh, at, at potentially pushing Kristen moving forward. And, and again, this is kind of what FPO has become, right? FPO has become 
who is who is able to push Kristen? Who is able to actually compete with Kristen? Because at this tournament, even at this tournament, as create uh, you know, this field wasn't wasn't deep really at all for FPO. But like just running down the leaderboard, you have Own at fifteen under, Alexis Manahano at thirteen under, Cat Merch at nine, Lisa Fakus at nine, and then fifth place was Valerie Manahano at one. Yeah, I mean that is a massive drop off. So. The, you know, this is one of the things that I've been talking about with FPO is like, I don't know about you, but I've, I'm kind of getting bored of watching FPO when Kristen's in the field, because I want to see like some sort of like battle and I'm just not getting that anymore. It's a, yeah. I think it, it's, it's one of those things where a dominant player I think is good for the growth of a division and good for the growth of the sport mainly because every weekend going into the weekend, there's just the question of, can they do it again? Mm -hmm. Um, But at some point you do have to see that player overcome adversity. And I think that's more the struggle on the FPO side is if Kristen's down by three, I think the stats still range true that she's never won going to the final round. Correct. So there's, we're not seeing this like, like Paul back in the day, he had a similar range to what we're seeing uh, in 2015, he had a similar reign to Kristen's current season, but the difference was he had several comeback wins where mm-hmm. you went to the final round and there was a Ricky or there was a there was someone in the lead and Paul was chasing him down. Paul had a lot of come from behind victories. That's what made it exciting is because you felt like he was never out of it. With Kristen, if she gets down, you do get to this feeling of like she's out of it. She's not going to come back just because she hasn't done it before. So I think that's more so a dominant player is always exciting, but there does need to be that, that tension, that battle. But in general, I think it's good for the growth of FPO because Kristen's setting a bar that players have to chase down. And a few years from now, enough players are going to chase down that bar that you're going to have a very similar feel to what we're seeing in MPO where there's just going to be a ton of parody. It's just going to take a little bit of time to get there. Yeah, exactly. It's going to take a little bit of time and uh, we're kind of just in the growing pains right now, unfortunately. So we're, we're just kind of making it through it. Now, Alexis Manahano did show so- signs of life. She did end up shooting the course record nine under par. So we did see a little bit, a little bit of life from her. And she, again, her there, there's a handful of these FPO players right now that on certain courses, they can compete. But it's, it's, we, we, we don't have that many well-rounded for all courses on the FPO side as we do on the MPO side. Right. And I would say Alexis Manahano is definitely one of those players that if you put her in the woods, that is where her bread and butter is just because her distance is going to be a factor. When you go out in the open and you have longer holes, she's going to play a course that she can only birdie 10 of the 18 holes. And that's going to be tough to win when you're playing against people that can birdie all 18. So um, it was good to see her though. Her game is really fun to watch in the woods, hitting the lines and her putt is really nasty. Um, Other than that, anything else? Oh, we did leave out Sayananda apologies. Favorite, favorite name in FPO Sayananda. We did leave her out. She did end up actually beating Kristen this year. One of the few women to beat Kristen this year. So can't leave out her. Um, anything else from this tournament that stood out to you? Anything, any other storylines that we maybe missed from mid America? No, not for this one. Uh, only other thing I want to talk about trophy. 
What's our rating? Oh gosh. What's what's the trophy rating for for uh, Mid America here? We we they went with the paddles. Yeah. Uh, interesting. I'm okay with it because it's a four series. It, we, it's not a trophy, guys. I don't know what's going on. It, it's still I. Again, there are people out there that completely disagree with me, and that's completely fine. I saw people on Twitter being like, I love this. This is awesome. I love this trophy. If I can go, I'll say, I'll keep saying this. If I can go into my garage and pull out the same exact trophy at these disc golf tournaments, that is not a trophy to me. I'll, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what else to say, man. It's a paddle. It's a paddle. I can go. Did they get the kayak to go with it? Probably. They probably got a free rental for the day to go on a kayak. Um, but the, the kayak's not a trophy. That's like a nice thing to win. <laughs> if you win, it's like, hey, guess what? We have a sponsor that is willing to give you a kayak as well. But that's not yeah. the trophy. Like, give the people a normal trophy, something that looks nice, and then give them a kayak. Then give them a guitar. Then give them a belt buckle. Then give them whatever. But like, uh, I'll leave it at that. All right. Uh, you're not going to win this art. I don't think it is uphill. Yeah, I don't know. All right, let's jump to let's jump to rankings here. Let's let's see what the rankings look like. We are, you know, winding down. Not too many events left like we were talking about. FPO, we'll go through FPO first because it's an absolute bloodbath on FPO. Um Kristen Tatar right now. She has 1208 points. Am I reading that right? My God. Uh, yeah. 1,208 points. Next in line is Katrina Allen with 872. Missy Gannon with 869. Ella Hansen with 806. Now, this gap will get shrunken because yeah, uh, Kristen won't be coming back until Worlds. So... Ledstone, D-Glow, which is also extra points, and Idlewild. Kristen will not be here. So we'll, that, the gap will definitely... No one will pass her. Probably not. I don't think you can. Well, I think if Katrina won all three events, she could maybe pass her. Probably won't happen, but the gap will definitely get a little bit tighter moving forward. So we'll be looking out at that. Now, names that are kind of on the bubble... Sayananda, we haven't seen her play in quite some time. Uh, last last event we saw from Sai was DDO. So it's been a while, but she right now is just inside the cut line for the tour championship. Uh, also with Jennifer Allen and Stacey Ronsley. The people that are just outside, you have Lisa Fakus, Deanne Carey, Heidi Laney, who like has only played like four events or looks like seven events. She's had a couple of really good finishes. Uh, a couple of European players are kind of on the outside, uh, but nothing too crazy. You know, again, we kind of talked about the field isn't super deep in FPO. So no big names really are outside. I would say the, the, the top 20, but on the MPO side, I think this is where it is a little bit more interesting. And again, I think this year moving forward, they talked about the new format of where they're going to be starting the tournament with people under par already. They're doing away with the weird buys and stuff. So it's going to matter a lot more. I think this year 
where your placement is from first to 20 than it did in previous years. You have Calvin Heinberg almost with a thousand points at 947. No surprise there. You have Gannon and Isaac Eagle and James Proctor all finishing in the top five. No surprises really. Uh, but I think it gets interesting once you kind of go down to the cut line, which is at the 32 spot. So as of right now, the people that are just inside, you have Garrett Gerthy, Robert Burge and Jakob Simrad all at 30, 31st and 32nd respectively. And then moving down there, you have myself, Chris Clemens Eric, with, I believe Chris Clemens, that might be the biggest shocker for me because he was like, I think like top 15 or something last year. He was very high up in the rankings last year. Uh, Eric Oakley, Nico, Kevin Kiefer, Chandler Kramer, um, Gavin Babcock. That's a surprising one, right? Babcock's had a couple really good finishes this year. He's outside. Albert Tam Parker Welk is outside. He's won an elite event. He right now is in 48th. So you have uh, Andrew Marweed's another one. That's one that yeah. I would probably circle the name because right now he's in 53rd, but he's got a lot of events coming up that suits his game very, very well. So keep an eye on that. Greg Barsby, Gavin Rathbun, Tristan Tanner, Thomas Gilbert. There's a lot of names. Jeremy Coling is currently in 65th place. So something to keep an eye on moving forward, who's going to be in, who's going to be out. And I think a lot of points are going to be shifted around moving forward. Any, any, any thoughts from that list? Uh, no, I think it, it gets more and more surprising every year with just how deep the field is. And also just the name recognition. Um, before you just kind of knew the name of a handful of guys, you might've heard some names, but not like a guy like Parker Welk has obviously made a big name for himself with a win. And you see his name outside and it's like a shock value. Whereas prior to DDO, I probably wouldn't have recognized the name Parker Welk. So it, it's a cool thing to see. What, what do you think of the new format this year with the scores resetting after round two? Um, I don't like that. The scores reset. I'm not a huge fan of that. Um, I think if it, I, I, I would, I would have liked it to be four rounds have the leaders start with the lead and then from there moves forward. Yeah, I fully agree. I don't, I don't like the I reset. I'm on the, same reset page. the reset doesn't really make sense to me. Well, I think you're kind of, you're, you're rewarding a player for the hardest thing to do in disc golf, winning the tour champion, winning the tour points, you reward them with a stroke head start. I like that. But then after two rounds to reset it, you're still kind of opening the door to just have someone come in and still win. Um, Cause like, I, I don't know. It, it's a weird one. Cause I mean, on the flip side, what if someone who's in third, let's say Calvin stays in first, someone who's in third over the two rounds makes up all the strokes and has a three stroke lead on Calvin. And then that leads a race and Calvin wins by one. Yeah, and it's like, I don't... dang, I did a lot of work those first two rounds to make up six strokes on the guy just for it to go away and, and lose it. I, I like, I like the idea. I think they're just one step shy. Yeah, it's 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 always weird to me when you have like a stroke play tournament, but it's not stroke play tournament. Like we play stroke yeah. play tournaments all year, and then we decide at this tournament we're going to do something differently. And if it's like you want to do something differently, and you want to have people have an advantage to start because you're like we want to give that advantage that they gain throughout the season, that makes complete sense. 
But then it's like, I think you're going a little bit too overboard by saying, well, like, let's also then add on this other thing that we don't ever do, which is we set the scores. So I think they just kind of missed the mark a little bit there. And it's, it's a, it's a work in progress for sure. All right. We'll probably roll through these other two tournaments kind of quickly. Cause to be quite honest, they were in Europe. I wasn't watching them when they were going on. Uh, but interesting, interesting to say the least. The first one we'll kind of go through is the Alon open, which was played. I believe this was in uh, Finland. So a lot of players actually did end up staying back. Some of the Americans that you would uh, recognize their name was Eagle McMahon, Eric Oakley, Scott Stokely, Matt Bell, Gray's, Greg Barsby. Uh, a couple of these players stayed back. A couple other Americans stayed back and ended up playing another tournament. We'll get to in a second. But the big name here, Myro Ronanen. Ra, Ra, Ron, do you know how to say it? Ronanen. Mm. Yeah. Finnish Finish 18-year-old. Uh, he takes down the win over, yes, Nicholas Antilla and Eagle McMahon by one. It was very close down to the wire. He ended up only needing to par the final hole, which I think was very nice. Only needed to par to win against both those two players. He had 16 birdies in a row between round two and round three. 16 True. birdies in a row. Now, obviously, this course, if you look at it, heavy birdie course. It was, uh, you know, you had guys shooting 13 under 11 under 12 under, uh, it, it looked like a pretty much birdie or die type of course, which some people were asking me like, what's the difference between Europe courses and American courses? I don't know, man, is this kind of looks like a lot of the courses that we play in, in the States where you just, you have to birdie like the landscape. Yeah, maybe maybe the views, the 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 vistas, if you will. Um, but impressive win by this kid, man. Taking down taking down the Eagle and, and Nicholas is no joke. Scott Stokely had a really good round one, getting him on Lee card. So Scott's been playing actually some really good disc golf. We had him on the pot. What what do you think about this? We asked him because he qualified last week with his good performance. Uh or two weeks ago, whatever it was that he qualified for USDGC, but said he wasn't going to go. What are, you th- what are your thoughts on that? Is it because he's still going to be in Europe? Is that, is that why? Yeah. I think it's like he has, he had this plan of like, this is what he's going to do. And, and even though he qualified for USDGC, he's like, nah, I mean, the play a lot. I, I, I mean, I would be, I'd be playing. I think it's probably one of his last chances he'll get to play, but Hey, you got to respect it. He's saying the plan. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that is one of the things that I would maybe audible if I, if I was in his shoes, because, oh, because especially if he's playing as well as he is playing right now, you know, USCGC is a very forehand friendly course. So it's also, it's such a, it's such an exclusive event. Like this is, honestly could be the last time Scott Stokely qualifies for USCGC hmm. on it. Honestly, like it, I'd be surprised if he qualifies again. I'm kind of surprised he qualified this year. Um, so that, that would be in the back of my mind. It's like, this could be my last chance to play this event. So I would personally want to want to do it, but you know, he he's played it a lot. I've never got to play it. So maybe that's why we're on two different sides of the coin. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Um, on the women's side here, we had Silva, I've said her name a few times and I probably said I'm wrong every single time. 
Saarinen, but she she's just like the European Open goddess or something. Uh, when when you know Kristen's not in the field, she she I think there's like her sixth time or something like that taking it down. So shout out to her. She's playing really well. She would be someone. I I believe this is the girl I talked about too, where I saw her like practicing on uh, after Blue Ridge or something, and I was like, gosh, her putt is nasty. So hopefully we see more of her because she could be someone that, like we talked about, kind of fills out the FPO field a little bit more. She could be another piece into the puzzle of of something that could win. All right, let's move over to Yarva. Yarva. Uh, the Yarva Open went down. You have Luke Humphreys, a name we haven't really talked too much about this year. However, it wasn't too long ago that Luke Humphreys was like one of the top five players in the world at the start of the season Yeah, of where we were just like, what is going on? Was that two years? When was that? Was that two years ago? Gosh, was that it was either two years ago or last year? Last Came year. out hot at Vegas and then hot again at Waco. Yeah. Just really played some awesome disc golf. Hasn't, you know, has maybe had an up and down season this year but uh, was able to edge out Isaac Robinson, who shot a 13 under final round to jump up 11 spaces uh, spots to second place. Uh, but Luke Humphrey is able to take it down shooting five under. That was enough for the final round. This was a little bit more of a, um, I don't know what the word is not attend well attended. I guess, but on the American side, you had Isaac Robinson there. You had Kevin Jones, Alden Harris, Ezra Robinson. Uh, but some of these other names, I'm not really too sure. Silver Lat was there, uh, but a good win, a good win from Luke Humphreys over there. And uh, we got to show you, we got to show if you, if you're watching us right now, we got to show the Kevin Jones ace. We just have yeah. to. It, uh, we'll have Silas pull it up here because I mean it was a thing of beauty. I wish I wish you could see the fly. Yes, yes. I I thought it was. I think it's because of the way the hole is. Yeah. Of where you're not really able to see it, but for our listeners, Kevin Jones got which I'm guessing his first ever grenade ace in a tournament. Can we see it? I wouldn't Not be shocked. Fair to say, I wouldn't be shocked if he's gotten a grenade ace before. He throws it a lot, but in a tournament is wild. Yeah, and and this and the way the hole was too, it it, it seemed like it needed to be absolutely perfect for it to actually ace. Uh, yeah. So crazy, crazy ace from uh, Kevin Jones. Shout out to him for that. Um, where did my thing go? I just completely lost my. Uh, I lost, I, I lost everything, man. I lost it all. <laughs> oh, like I'm on like two different screens right now. How is that even possible? Do you know what I'm talking about? No, I don't. The Kevin Jones, they just screwed your computer up. All right. Well, I'm going to finish, I guess over here and then we can, we can bounce. Uh, this is wild. I'm like on a completely different desktop screen. I don't know how to get back <laughs> uh, on the FBO side. You have Olivia Kinstant taking it down. So congrats to her. Uh, let me try to figure out how to get back to you because this is a wild thing. All right. We're back to normal desktop. There weird. We Welcome weird. Back. Thank you. It's good to be back. Um, all right. So those are the three tournaments. Let's talk about PDJ rules. First one. If you want to go on, you can just look it up. You can read all the stuff that you want. 
Uh, but we're going to go through a few that I have listed. Hunter, if there's any that I missed that you want to discuss, please let me know. But okay. this was also news to me. The PDGA doesn't just like make rules. They make, no. suge- they make suggestions. I think they want like feedback. They do this every year, but they don't, I don't know if they don't listen to feedback, but there's been several times that they suggest the rule. And I'm like, well, that one's so dumb. There's no way it gets through. And then it gets through. <laughs> um, one of them being like the, the different ways rule? to finish a hole. The Mando rule was one last year, yeah. even the lie, which I know they just reverted back, but that was another one in years past. So, but a lot of times they just kind of put it out and I don't know if they're putting it out just for members or it has to just be for members, but they just kind of want feedback. So they put it out now and then it's not enacted until the end of the year. Gotcha. Okay. So the, the ones I want to jump out, the ones I want to jump out are what you mentioned. They reverse the rule about removing casual obstacles behind the line. That was a no brainer. I don't know why they made that in the first place. It was very stupid. If you're in the middle of the fairway and you've got like five pine cones behind your disc, kick those things out of the way. We don't need to be trying to tiptoe around pine cones. Did you see people? Did you see people adhering to this rule out there like throughout the year? Not the, not like, or were people just playing like normal? Well, I, I think people were adhering to it, but it was such a weird rule of where theoretically we made jokes of where if you do lie down behind your disc and like do a snowflake, like a snow angel, everything in that could be removed. So it was kind of stupid. Um, but it it was a rule that needed to just get reverted back. I don't know why they ever did it. We don't want to see people having to like high step over a stick to have to throw their shot in the middle of the fairway. We do not have perfectly manicured courses, and that was a dumb rule. Uh, this was an interesting one. And apparently I was talking to Ezra a little bit about this. And he said that he saw some really negative feedback about this one. Curious to your thoughts. You now need to have a PDJ membership to play in C tiers. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I hate it. I, I just recently, I think it was two years ago, I pushed it to B tiers. I wasn't a fan of that either. Cause it's already, I would see, I'm a tournament director. I just ran a C tier this past weekend. I had a few players that aren't PDJ members that want to play in a disc golf tournament. They charge them 10 bucks extra. So kind of, in my opinion, one of the draws to a PDGA membership was if you're playing here in AM and you're playing more than like six tournaments a year, it's going to save you money to be a PDGA. Um, but what I liked before was if like my dad or my brother or someone is getting into disc golf and wants to dip their toes into the tournament scene, they didn't have to go pay 60 bucks just to play a C tier. Yes. Cause the D tiers, the D tiers seem like they're all just one round one day. You can't really do a normal tournament. So it's not like as a tournament director, I can just be like, okay, well fine. I'll just run a D tier. So I, I don't like it because now I think it is kind of gatekeeping a uh, part of the sport that should be open as far as like, if you want to go play a tournament, you shouldn't have to have this big commitment. You're already having to pay 30 or 40 bucks to play in the tournament. It shouldn't cost you a hundred bucks just for you to find out you're not ready to get in tournament play yet. Mm. Um, so I hate it. No, I think it's, I think it was a bad move. I think it was just a, a, a money move by the PDGA personally. It's a weird one. And to me, it's like the last thing I think right now, I've always talked about this. I don't think from organizations, especially the PDGA, they should be nickeling and diming, diming, uh, 
fans of disc golf or new players of disc golf, the last thing you want to do is trying to suck every single dollar out of these people. I think right now you should be doing everything you can to make it as accessible and as easy for people to fall in love with disc golf, go out there and play it. And this, this is a no brainer. This is a barrier that doesn't need to exist. And you know, there's a C tier that me and a bunch of my friends, the wives, all, all of us come and play in, in Las Vegas. And some people, most people weren't PDJ members. And we're like, no problem. You just have to pay a little bit more and you're good. Now it's like, now I'm a little bit worried, man. I'm a little bit worried. Like, are people wanting to spend that much more money to play in one tournament? They play one tournament all yeah. year. So well, also, I, we're already, I, I don't like it. We're already seeing right now. If you look at the local tournament scene, um, and this isn't just happening in Lynchburg, this is happening everywhere. I was, I was seeing posts about it. It's already hard to fill tournaments way harder than it was a year or two ago. Like people are already, mm. it's already a big ask for people to pay entry fees and, you know, play in tournaments. You're, you're just not seeing what we were seeing. Some of it is there's a lot more TDs since the COVID boom, and there's a lot more opportunity to play than there used to be. But before I, I could post a tournament and it was filled in five minutes. That's just not the case anymore. And this rule is not going to help that. So we already have a, a sort of a problem filling tournaments and now you're going to make it even harder to do so. Bad idea. Yeah, not a fan. Uh, last one I want to go over is the pace of play. I actually did a little screenshot of this one because there's a. I kind of want to just read most of this because I think a lot of this is kind of very interesting, and I want to let you know people know exactly how this rule plays because I might be the biggest pace of play guy on tour. Uh, so pace of play. This edition uh, codifies the concept of putting a putting a group on the clock, defines what being on the clock means and outlines the relevant procedures. All right. All competitors shall play without undue delay and make every effort to keep up with the group in front of them. I think that is huge. This notion that you have to keep up with the group in front of the uh, front of you is not enforced at all. There should never be multiple whole gaps between groups. And there are all the time. Players and groups are expected to move expeditiously, which is a very interesting word from the completion of one hole to the T area of the next hole. Any undue delay should not affect the pace of play within the group behind them. Also while advancing down the fairway, a player group shall not not unduly delay play by their actions. A player causing undue delays may be issued an excessive time violation by agreement of the playing group or a tournament official. If a group causes undue delays, each player may be issued an excessive time violation by a tournament official. If the sole discretion of the tournament director or their designee, a group is causing delays, they may be put on the clock. On the clock means that a tournament official will accompany the group and actively time their play to ensure that it confronts with 802.03 excessive time. And with this section and will issue warnings and penalty throws accordingly. The term official must notify the group that they are on the clock in a manner understandable to all players. If a group no longer is causing delays, they come off the clock. Off the clock means the term official is no longer actively timing their play. When a group comes off the clock, the term official must notify the group that they are off the clock in a manner understandable to all players. A group that is repeatedly put on the clock may receive penalties as described. Okay. So 
all of this sounds actually really good to me. I like how all this is sounding. You have to implement this. Moving forward, we are at an elite plus event. Okay. You asked, you were talking to, you know, you and Trevor earlier this season. What does the plus mean? Why is it an elite plus? Now's your time to prove why it's an elite plus. Have tournament officials going around the course, looking at the UDIS score, score, um, live score to see where backups are, where there's gaps, have them going around and actively making sure people are playing quick. This is the time to do it. This is the time to put it in place to have the fans that are here, which they've sold, I think $50,000 worth of spectator passes, have those fans see this put in place so that pace of play is quick and the people watching at home pace of play is quick. This is the time to do it. So, course do it at northwoods yes yes and again like my thing is i'm not a strict i'm I'm not strict on the 30 second rule right especially Mm -hmm. at northwood if someone throws their tee shot and it's way off in the middle of nowhere i'm not going to be like hey you have 30 seconds to throw but if you throw your shot way off in the middle of nowhere and you know you're first up you should probably hustle to your disc, like put a little bit of mustard on it. And uh, there's so many ways to play quick. And I would love to see that moving forward. Just faster play, faster play. But some of this seems almost like common sense when you read it, but it's just not happening. So it's good to have it actually in the rule book now. Yeah. It's, it's nice to where now you can have an official come up and say, you guys are on the clock and people aren't going to be like, what the heck is that? So I, I like the changes. I like it. It's just, but also you have to implement them. Correct me if I'm wrong, but basically from what I was reading, the entire card can be penalized now, even if just one person's like, if the entire cards playing slow, like they can all be issued time penalties, right? From what just read from what I just read, it seemed like whoever is causing the issues, whoever is causing the delays is going to get penalized. So what that could be is I could be playing fast and then you are playing slow. So you end up putting us on the clock and then I start playing slow. I could get a pen. I can get penalized. So I don't have to be the person to, it's not just the person that gets put on the clock. Once you're put on the clock, it sounds like anyone. Yeah. Anyone is that plays slow on the clock can get penalized. So Um, I think it's a good rule. I think it's a good rule because you're not going to have players count. You know, you're not gonna have players do it. It, it, We have seen that doesn't work. And, uh, it's very, it's very, very simple to see, Hey, there's a two hole gap in front of you. This card's probably playing slow. So, all right, let's, uh, any other rules that you saw that jumped out of you? Those were the big ones that I saw that affected kind of the MPO side of things. And, and the big one, obviously with the registration for C tiers, I think a big one for local tournaments is the the rule where all four players have to keep score. Now. Yes. I saw that one as well. You think that's, you think that's a good one or a bad one? I, I don't, I don't think, I don't think it's good or bad, but I know I'm going to hear a lot of complaints about it as a tournament director. <laughs> Cause it's yeah. hard to get two people to keep score. <laughs> much less trying to get all four, but it's, it's probably a good rule. It's just not going to be well received because people don't like keeping score. Are we still anti keeping score for yourself and one other person? Is everyone still anti that? 
We do we still I, think I, that I, that's not the just, best way of doing it? I think it's just such a different scale at a C tier versus a Pro Tour. And yeah. this is a, a this, thing, this seems to be like a Pro Tour rule applied to a C tier, in, in my I, opinion. I think C tier, you just need one person to do it, man. That's what I'm saying. I don't know. Like you don't, you, I don't think you need all four at every event. But it's the problem when you have one set of rules that applies to everything. Yeah, that that is a. I think this is one that could literally be like C tier, B tier, one score, one like one person keeping score, and then you can do A tier two. And then the pro tour can do whatever they want. So yeah, um, I agree with you. That's probably eh, people aren't going to like that. No, it's, it's probably a good rule because it, it should limit scoring errors, but it's going to be one that I get complained to the most. I think out of everything on this list. Yeah. So uh, anything else or is that pretty much it? That was, for that was pretty much it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk about Ledgestone. Ledgestone Open going down this week starts tomorrow. Three, uh, four round tournament. We talked about this at the beginning. I was unaware of actually the the schedule. We are doing Northwood, Eureka, Eureka, Northwood for the MPO side, and then FPO side. I believe does um, Northwood, Sunset, Sunset, Northwood. So I think you flipped what, the MPO. Sorry, we do Eureka, Northwood, Northwood, Eureka. I'm, I might have said yeah. that wrong, so apologies if I did. Um, what are your thoughts on that? What are your thoughts on... Is that the best way to... A two-course two course tournament, is that the best way to do it? Do you like that? I would prefer alternate, like Eureka, Northwood, or I guess in this case it would be Northwood, Eureka, Northwood, Eureka. Mm-hmm. But I think because they don't want... They want FPO... I think they want F playing Northwood when MPO is playing Eureka and they want FPO finishing on Northwood. So maybe that's part of the problem. I don't know. I don't like it back, like the course being back to back and then the other one being so spread out, but not awful. I think maybe the schedule has to do a little bit with FPO playing Northwood and then also, um, I believe MA1 is playing Eureka. I think that's dumb. So for that a, to affect the schedule. Yeah, I, I think that might have to do it. Cause I'm with you. I think alternate makes the most sense. I think obviously finishing at Eureka, you gotta finish at an open course. Um, but to me, the alternate makes a lot more sense. And the only thing that is interesting is this one is a I believe there is a cut after three rounds. So this one, if you are kind of looking at that. This one's going to favor the woods players because you're going to have two rounds at Northwood and only one at Eureka. So it's going to favor heavily favor the woods players to make the cut versus the guys that want to play out in the open. So something to think about. Um, have you, have you heard if there's any update to like the course coverage, live, live yes. coverage at Northwoods? I'm just about, I was literally just wanting to jump oh. into that. So they made okay. a post, they made an announcement and I actually saw them yesterday working on it. They have, and I think Silas might jump in here with a little more info, but they will have full live coverage this year at Northwood uh, for the first time ever. And uh, Silas, do you have have any more like info on the actual infrastructure that they have? Yeah, so it says that uh, they basically ran 2,000 feet of fiber cable um, to kind of cater to the back nine. And they're using a different kind of 
cellular system that's a private um, cellular connection instead of just the public um, mm. phone connection. So it sounds like it's going to be a little bit more stable and uh, faster as well. And they quote, while the broadcast quality won't be perfectly clear on all holes, it will be functionally solid. Functionally solid sounds better than nothing. Yes. I, I think that was Absolutely. like a big, a big issue with this last year was you just didn't see nine holes. They were just, no. they were just gone. And they just did uh, some highlights. Was it? Yeah. And so I think this year being able, even if you can only see, you know, maybe, maybe it's like not 720 or 1080, maybe it's 360 for a little bit. I think seeing something is way better than not seeing anything. So, uh, that, that's a big one. Um, let's, let's talk feature cards real quick. So feature cards on the MPO side, we have Ricky Wysocki, Simon Lazat, Chris Dickerson, Corey Ellis. And then uh, that's they're going to be on Jomez. They tee off at 4 p.m. Eastern, and then teeing off at uh, I guess it would be four. Wait, what? Hold on. How, how am I seeing this? No, they, no, tee, they off tee off at 4:20 Eastern. I guess multi card. I guess the coverage just starts. The coverage at four. starts. Yeah. Okay. And then second card. Uh, second card will be the second ch- uh, feature card. Goes off at 4.05 Eastern. You have Gannon Burr, Calvin Heimberg, Paul Uliberry, Anthony Brella. Uh, yeah, I don't like that they, they don't just do Eastern time zone. I, it's, it's throwing me off with the central time zone under the thing. Um, pretty good feature cards. Now, a notable name that's not on here. You know who I'm thinking of? Pretty Smith. No, 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 no. No, <laughs> no that's not who I'm thinking of. Presnell, Andrew Presnell. I believe there is there. Andrew Presnell is now the second person this year that won an event the week before and was not on a feature card the next tournament. Do you know who the other he also one was? Won an event the week before was not on a feature card. <sighs> I don't. I don't even have a clue. Parker Welk. Oh, that makes sense, actually. Yeah. That. Presnell well. has the spreadsheet though that he tweets of, <laughs> he of everyone that's ever been on a feature card. So yeah. that's not that's not working in his favor. We're gonna see the update. He will not be happy. Yeah, I, I was kind of surprised, you know, this also being a discraft event. That's what I was about uh, to say. Yeah. They had yeah, the power. Kind of surprised that he's not on there. Uh on the FPO side, we have Missy Gannon, Sarah Hokum, Alexis Mandahano, Katrina Allen, Owen Scoggins. Holland Hanley, Haley King, and then Miss Frisbees. Yeah, wow. Miss Frisbees making it on. Um, she played, if you if you haven't gone, you can go back and watch her compete at the uh what we what did we call it last year? Creators Cup. Creators Cup. Okay. Um not to be confused with the Heiser Club ch- championships, which is actually happening this week. When is the are we doing another Creators Cup this year? Unfortunately, we're we're not because the Heiser Club Championship is kind of where our time and energy is going in place. But unfortunately, but um, okay. which might bring be super back. exciting though. We might bring we it back might, in the future. Yeah, we might bring it back. But yes, Chantel, uh, a member of the Creators Cup, will be playing as well. So that's always exciting to see someone uh, on there. Um, okay, 
I want to talk a little bit about win percentages with the with the win probabilities. Have you looked at them yeah. yet? For this weekend? For this weekend. Have you looked at win not. probabilities? I've not. Okay, perfect. So you're a perfect guinea pig for me then. Um, Heck yeah. Okay, so let's go to... I have to reopen it up. Okay. My gut says Ricky Wysocki, 75% chance of winning. <laughs> so Ricky has won the past three years. I'm sure that does somehow go into their equation. We're going to start with FPO first. Okay. Who do you think has the highest win per, win probability? And what do you think that is? I'm still going to go with Kristen, even though she's not there. And I'm going to say that, that her not being there just bumped it down to 40%. Uh, it is Christina. Now, probably, uh, oh, I was going to well, go Missy. I, I was going to guess Missy. So I've been wrong. Missy's actually third on the uh, on the list at fifteen percent. Christina Allen okay. at twenty two percent. Own Scoggins actually taking it uh, at nineteen percent. Um, All right. And I do want to actually just kind of see a name that we haven't heard a bit, but let's not forget Kona Kona Montgomery. She currently is sitting at two percent chance for a top ten. She's been posting a lot about her uh, putting and getting, uh, trying to get her putt dialed in. So we'll see what happens with Kona. That's a storyline that we haven't really brought up in a while. Um, you only get so many posts of I'm trying to get my putt fixed before I don't really read them anymore. Fair. That's all I have to say on it. So. That's fair. That's fair. Okay. Thoughts on the MPO side. Win percentage. I'm, I honestly think it got to be Ricky with the highest. And I'm going to say he's probably at a 26% chance to win. Very close. Ricky's at Dang. 21. Calvin okay. Heimberg at 19. Gannon Burr at 14%. Makes so, sense. We don't really ever, I guess if you guys like that, if you guys want to see us do more like win probability stuff, it's an interesting thing to look at before the tournament. We've never done it before. I thought, what the heck? Might as well try it. So if you guys like that, please let us know. And we can kind of continue doing that for our, our previews. Um, okay. A few course adjustments that I want to run through real quick. Oh, there are some. Okay. Northwood is, is essentially has been untouched as far as OB basket placements, T T pads. They did clean out some of the fairways though. And I think a lot of that has to do with spectators. They cleaned out hmm. to where some of the areas that were difficult to it's going to make scrambling a little bit easier for players, but more importantly, it's going to make it to where spectators are going to be able to watch a little bit more holes and see more shots. So I'm okay with that. Uh, but on the Eureka side, a couple big changes actually. So the first one is on hole eight hole eight is the par four where you have that gap between like kind of these trees, you go over that little Creek and then you have that basket that's like tucked right up into like that, um, that spine where left is in the water. And then right. You have that nasty Lake over there. Short now is playable. There is no OB short before we were teeing off OB. So it required players to actually have to throw through the gap on their tee shot and then attack the basket from there. And if you didn't, you had to go to the drop zone. Now you might see some players lay up short of the gap and then just kind of play that hole for par. So it gives, it gives you an option. Um, interesting choice. 
I'm not a huge fan of it because, again, I don't like the idea of like just making it to where players don't have to throw that shot off the tee, but it is what it is. Now, the next hole is hole nine. That is the bridge hole. That hole is the same, but hole 10. Hole 10 was the kind of hyzer flip backhand. Some people would throw rollers. Some people that had big forehands. It's like a 420-foot shot. Mm-hmm. They have like those bushes and trees over on the right-hand side. That now is OB. I love this change. I love this change a lot because I played with a lot of people that would throw their backhand and it would like turn over way too much over in the crap over there. And then they would just like make this 45 foot putt from the bushes and trees and get birdie. Yeah. Can't do that anymore. T shots a lot tighter. Cause there is OB on the left, which is the same T shots a lot tighter in the wind. That hole's going to play a lot harder. So I like that change a lot. That wasn't OB last year. Nope. Was not OB huh. last year. Nope. And then hole 17, new drop zone. So hole 17 is the uh, island uh, mm-hmm. made famous probably by Reed Fiskira skipping it across the water. The drop zone used to be kind of wimpy. It was like 150 foot upshot over on like the sidewalk. And it was kind of like a angled, which is whatever. They now have created a, I'll say this. I like the infrastructure around it. I think it's going to be potentially cool because they have like a, the, the fencing, like the big fencing, they have it constructed this like tunnel. So where now you have fans that can basically be 10 to 15 feet away from the drop zone, but it's a 50 foot drop zone death butt. And I yeah. hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I, I hate, hate drop, it, I hate chance. drop zones. I hate drop zone putts. I would say you hate that you have a just a chance to save your par. I just hate drop zone putts. I hate, I, yeah, I, 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 I hate that you can just, literally drop your disc off the tee, go to the drop zone, jump, putt down, tap in for bogey and move on. I hate that. What do you think at, with the old drop zone? I don't think I ever told you story, but you know, what do you think happened to me? The one time I played Ledgestone, I went, I did you, threw a B go to the drop hit, zone. What did happens? You hit, did you hit the, one of the poles on the pier? I hit the fishing sign. There's, there's a little fishing <laughs> sign straight in front of me. It kicked my it kicked my favorite Nova into the water, and I just had to throw again from like 150 feet from that drop zone, and then I went forehand the second time and got up and down. Oh my gosh, that brought it was good bad. thing. That, good thing that happened on hole 17 because that could just like that could have just ruined you if that was like early in your round. It was the first round, so it ruined my tournament. Yeah. Oh, oh, because you didn't have like a disc replacement for that. No, I was able to get the disc back. It was just more the the shot to my pride. Yeah, it was bad. <laughs> Now, every single time to take a shot, you're like looking for signs around there. Uh, there is a, <laughs> there is an attack bird on hole 16. I'm not sure if they have, um, if they have like dealt with that, but there is a, there was a video that was posted in the players group. I'm allowed. To, I, I feel like I'm allowed to share this story. Uh, it was Jared Stoll who is trying to get his disc out of the bushes. I believe these birds are nesting over in these bushes. The bird, Legitimately flew down, swooped in, and like pecked him on his side. Jeez. Uh, it was also flying around me and Ezra when we were near there for our practice round. So we'll wow. see. Keep it keep an eye out for hole 16. Could be electric. That's fascinating. Can we get a bird cam all weekend? That would be awesome. Yeah, just like a, a stationary bird cam to see how many times it attacks players. Um, those are the only changes. 
I had some questions talking, you know, people asking me about what my thoughts are on this course. I, I, or these, these courses rather, I think this is one of the better two course setups we play all year. Yeah. I think, I think it's, it's, uh, it's really solid. It would be interesting to have worlds out here at this point. I don't know. Have they hosted worlds in the past? I'm sure they have, right? 2019. Yeah. 2019. Okay. I think, uh, I think this is a good location for worlds. I think the fans are always really good out at this event. Uh, I think Nate Heinel does a great job putting the event together. It's really well run. And, uh, yeah, I'm always excited to play Ledgestone. Hole one on Eureka is always a fun one too. Always a fun just to get your, get your blood pressure up high to start. Um, it's, it's almost equivalent to a whole one at Memorial. Which you guys found yeah. hills, which you guys have played. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, so. the the when I played Ledgestone, it was the first time I ever had uh the tea time where someone announced my name. And so practice rounds, no problem getting over water. Not scary at all. Smooth it over, it was fine. I got there day of and they announced my name and I just like my heart started racing and I was terrified. I just I threw so deep. It was great. Yeah, I was <laughs> I took a paw. I just ripped. I almost went OB long. It was, it was intense. It was a very scary moment. I love, I love Eureka temp. Great course. Yeah. A lot of fun. Um, all right, let's jump to some of the listener questions. Now we have a handful. This one comes from Nate East. Would you guys ever have a live audience for the podcast? I think this would be really cool. I think this is something that maybe in the future we could do, like an hour of grip locked and then like an hour of tour life afterwards for like a, tw- a two hour portion. I think we could do something like that and then maybe do like a Q and a for 30 minutes or so afterwards and have it be like a two and a half hour, uh, you know, event. I think that would be something that would be really fun. I think I would be yeah. totally down for it. I don't know when we would do it or where we would do it, but that's definitely not something that is out of possibility. I would say. You really should just like, find like right now bars or something while you're while you're traveling and just always do tour life live just go live from like a local restaurant oh i'm sure every, Silas, every week. i'm sure silas would absolutely love producing that show just yeah um uh brandon keener said should courses have more par fours and fives like on tour or just in general I'm guessing all these are probably directed to tour, like yeah. tour courses. I'm gonna say on average, no. I think I think the par, in my opinion, on tour is pretty good. I just think it's sometimes the difficulty of the par is what comes into question. But I think that the general par direction the tour's head is is a pretty good mix, in my opinion. I think it is challenging to make good par fives. I think these two courses actually have some of the best par fives in the world. Like the, yeah. out of all the courses we play, these two have some of the best. I think whole um, it's right after the water tower hole. So it would be gosh, 13. is it 13? Yep. Hole 13. The only par five that is on Eureka. I think it's a great hole because even though it is technically, even though it is Stockheiser, Stockheiser, Stockheiser backhand, if you get out of position, that hole gets really weird. And you have to yeah. make decisions. And I like that. And then the three par fives that are on uh, Northwood, all great par fives, all really great. And 
I, I, I want more fours and fives. I'll say this. I want more fours and fives and threes. I think if you add up the number of fours and fives on a course, they should be more, there should be more than threes. And I think actually the majority should be fours and fives because what you don't see in par threes is you don't see decision-making, but what you do see in par threes is you can see like very specific shots that they are asking you to do. And you, you reward the ones that can do it and you penalize the ones that can't. So I think courses need both, but I like fours and fives more. Cause I think you see more variability. Um, disc golf commenter. What's the hot round at Northwood black this week? With you're saying the course might be a little easier scrambling wise. So I'm going to say, it's on a few say someone gets to, I'm going to say and someone gets to 11. Wow. 11 under. Yeah, why not? Isn't the course record like eight? I have no idea. I think the Somewhere course record. I don't. I think practice rounds people have gotten the double digits, but practice rounds. So yeah, I, it's possible. I mean, it's out there. But Aaron, Aaron did say he 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 had twelve birdies today. There you go. It's gonna so, come from Aaron Gossage. Uh, I would I would be I would probably I'll say this I'll probably I wouldn't be surprised if I saw eight or nine. I would be a little surprised if I saw double digits, but I, it is out there. You you can definitely shoot double digits out there, but I would be a little surprised if I did see it because the weather also is supposed to be a little bad. Yes. A little yeah, rainy. That's supposed to be great. Rainy in the woods normally doesn't equate for low scores. So keep, Rain keep, quick, though. Things happen. That is true. Cardzilla, what's the point of a DGPT playoff even, event if players can skip it? So I think this is directed towards Kristen Tatar not playing at Deglo, the first playoff event. What are your thoughts on having a playoff event where players don't even actually have to play in it? Well, I first don't like having a playoff event and then you just like stop the playoffs, let everyone back in for worlds. And then you do playoff event, playoff event, and you stop the playoffs, let everyone in for USBC and then you go tour championship. So I'm already not a fan there, but it's a good point. Like how can a player miss a playoff event? It's a weird one. I think, I think they need to change the name. I don't think it's a playoff. <laughs> I think that's kind of the problem is it's, it's they, there needs to be, I get it. Maybe have a different name for it, but it's not a playoff. So I, I don't know. Does I, golf I mean, ever, I know golf has like different purse levels, but do they ever give more points? Like towards the FedEx Cup at certain events over others other than majors? I, I believe so. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. They do. They, do, they do, definitely do they change. Just, it's just normal PGA Tour events, though, and just some are worth more. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure. I haven't really looked into it because, again, it's just like something that people don't really care about. I don't know how many, if people actually care about it that much here. Yeah. Uh, so I haven't really looked into it that much, but I don't know if it's strength of schedule. I don't know, or like strength of the field, or if it's like predetermined that these events are going to be awarded more points or not. But uh, what I'll say is from a marketing standpoint, you want your message to be as clear and simple as possible. And the more they keep adding silver events and, you know, elite plus and playoff events and make them all worth different things. It gets more and more confusing as a fan and it makes new fans feel like they know less about the sport, which I think is a big barrier to entry. It's kind of like people getting into football. There's so many rules that you, it feels overwhelming. And I have a lot of friends just like don't want to watch football because they're like, I'll never understand that sport. The mm -hmm. simpler you can make it. I think the better it is, 
Um, so I, I don't really like all the different tiers and everything. Just call them pro tour events. Yeah. Or just don't make a big fuss about it. Right. You can, or, it, yeah. it can be more like on the backside of things. Um, or like if you're really into it, you know, yeah, like diehards. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I'm sure like a formula one, like probably has some, like where I tune into some races here and there and they yeah. might have something think, along the line. I think they're Maybe all, worth the they're all about the same. Well, that shows you how much I know about formula one. Um, uh, butter disc golf. Great Twitter name, by the way, most underrated skill in disc golf. And I can give you some time to think about it if you need it. Cause I already have my answer. Go for it. Okay. So this is what I think. I think it's a combination between disc selection, knowing the right disc to throw. And then the other one is knowing how to land your disc differently. I think a lot of players just throw shots and don't even think about how the disc is going to react when it hits the ground. And I think right there, those two things can cost you a lot of strokes. So throwing the right disc is huge. And then also paying attention to how you want your disc to actually end up landing is also massive. I think I'm going to go with um, creativity in scrambling. So essentially being able to like be the fairway and um, be able to be off the fairway and like find lines other people might not. And also kind of like know how to manipulate your disc to get it to fly through the entire line back to the fairway. I've played with several players that that's just like they, they miss the fairway, but they can always get back to the basket and like save their par or be close. And it's not like we're playing easy, easy scramble courses. They're just really creative and they have a huge arsenal of shots, um, especially on the local scene. It doesn't come in as much on the pro scene because I feel like y'all don't scramble. And when you do scramble it's from a little bit more manicured areas than some of like the brutal courses that you'll play at a tier, but I think that's a really underrated skill. And um, you can kind of tell whenever a player has it, cause they just get off. And it's always like how the heck do they get up and down? Yep. Uh, Paul has it. Uh, Ricky has it. Um, heck even Gannon at times you've seen him pull out shots. You're like, how did he even think of that? I think that's a very underrated skill. That's a good one. Yeah. And that's a, actually a video that I'm going to probably do at some point is kind of showing what shots you actually need. Like if you're trying to get better at disc golf, these are all the shots that you need. And if you don't have one of these shots, then you need to work on it because you're kind of limiting yourself. Um, all yeah. right. A couple more here, Nick, do you think your back issues are due to overthrowing without good form in the beginning or just the nature of you being a bigger guy and an athlete your whole life? So my back issues stem a lot from traveling. I've noticed that when I fly and I play right away, it tends to really aggravate it. Uh, but I think most of it has to do with just me kind of being, uh, having, you know, banged up my body for as many years as I have, because I actually was having a very similar back issue when I was golfing prior to disc golf it was still kind of bugging me. So it's just, it's just a, a never ending nag. I'll probably work this off season on it a little bit on trying to find the actual solution. Cause it is obviously really annoying when it flares up cause it just locks my entire body up. Um, and it's also just, I mean, I'm getting old. It sucks getting old. Uh, if, if you are over the age of 30 listening to this, you know, my pain, you can't just roll out of bed anymore and go do stuff. You have to kind of warm your body up, which is sad. I've already started feeling it and I'm only, I'm 26. 
It, hap- it happens, man. It yeah. sucks. It sucks. It partially could be just how much I'm running, but I've I've definitely started to feel things a lot more than I used to. I used to just like I didn't get sore. I could just go, go, go. And now I'm like, I have to think about warming up and like cool down stretching and all that. Like it's vital. I I will not be able to walk in the morning if I don't. Yeah, exactly. All right, Jacob Bird, last one here. Is disc golf oversaturated with content? I used to be an avid watcher of every single Jomez video and GK Pro skins in my favorite pro vlogs. But lately it's felt overwhelming with the sheer amount of practice rounds that are essentially the same thing. How long will it last? This was a very um, interesting one when I saw this. I don't think it's that. Uh, I, I don't think content can ever be oversaturated. Um, I think the key is what happens now is like you can't consume it all. So the best content rises. Um, the people who like Alden Harris is doing some fantastic stuff. Uh, I th- I'm thinking, I think his name's Jay Millie or, oh my gosh, it's Josh. I forget his name. Uh, he's big on Instagram and TikTok, and now he's transitioning to YouTube. There's some really creative people that stand out, but yes, I think like if pros, pros can't just go out, film themselves in a practice round, not really talk to the camera that much, post it and guarantee it's going to views. You have to let your personality shine or your editing shine or what you're doing be different. Um, but I, I think the good thing, because what it's going to do is create your content. In general. So when I first came into disc golf, there were maybe a handful of disc golf podcasts that were active, like consistently making podcast, you know, podcast uh, episodes on a weekly basis or a monthly basis. Now there's tons, right? Yeah. Let's let's move to a different sport. Let's move to the biggest sport in America. And I'm talking the NFL. You know what? We're not even going to talk about the actual we're not even going to talk about the actual football. We're going to remove football and we're going to go even more niche. Let's go fantasy football. We are now talking about something that's talking about the NFL. Do you know how many podcasts there are talking about fantasy football? Hundreds, a lot, yeah, hundreds. It's oversaturated from the standpoint of the creator. If you are a creator thinking about getting into disc golf or are in disc golf media already, it is oversaturated, which is your point, Hunter. You can't just put content out there and be like, oh, people are going to watch it. It has to be actually be good. But on this fan side, on the consumer side, you want more content. You want to have an abundance of stuff to choose from because like you said, the cream rises to the top. And then also if you are a podcast or a YouTube channel or whatever, and your views start dropping because other people are coming into the space, you have a decision to make. Maybe I need to start doing something differently, make better content. So I think, um, I think you want it. I mean, I, I don't think there is an oversight. I don't think that exists. Like, I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't know how it no. could be a bad thing because every, every big sport has oversaturation. And competition just drives. Progress. Like, I mean, there's been several changes that um, there's been several changes that we've made with our podcast or even with our YouTube channel that has come because we've seen someone doing something better than we're doing it. And we want to be, I mean, we want to be the best in our, in our niche of like non pros content. 
Um, and so when we see someone doing something better, it pushes us to be like, how can we implement that? Even if it's coming from other niches and we are like, how can we bring that into disc golf? And I think that that's a great thing because it, it pushes everyone to be better. Uh, and it end up getting, yeah, you have a lot of content. You can't watch it all anymore, but the content you do get to watch is way, way better than the content you got to watch years and years ago. Um, and it also, there's just some channels like you might not vibe with, Trevor and I, and you might love Brody and Ezra's practice rounds, or you might hate both of us on the wire watching the podcast. Maybe you love Yuli and you hate <laughs> them here. Um, but then you love watching, you know, the, the GK pro skins and you have all these options now, but you yes. don't have to, you don't have to have one gator and that's it. You can like go and pick and choose people that talk your, speak your language a little more, if that makes sense. So I think, I think it's good. Yeah. And I think, I think how we kind of have evolved too in the short period is initially we had one podcast, we had grip locked, right? And I would bounce on there once in a while and I would do my spiel. And then it got to the point of where it's like, I want to have my own podcast to where I can express my feelings. And that's where uh, debate night came from. And that was me and you. And then we found, and that was very successful at the beginning, but then we found that there was starting to get like this weird uh, overlap between grip locked and debate night with you. And you were kind of struggling to, you know, what do I talk about on grip lock, but not talk about on debate night. And that's where we kind of shifted and then created uh, Trevor's new show of where that is technically debate night now. And that was like all of us being able to jump on and have our opinions. And then me and Yuli have our show. Now you and Trevor still have grip locked and we evolved because we kind of saw how the content was working with the consumer. And I think that is something that needs to continue to happen because I would say where we are at right now, as far as just the podcast goes on what foundation disc golf, uh, produces on the podcast side, I think we are in a much better spot now than we were when it was just grip locked. And so as we continue to evolve and to continue to try to get better and better, that's what we look to do. So I don't, I don't see it being a bad thing. I think you want more people coming in. You want more people creating content. Like I would love to have, because I know you and Trevor, uh, try to get some, you know, inside scoop here and there, but like, I would love to have an actual, Hey, trying to get all the pros numbers, getting like the inside sources, you know, you did that for a little bit and, uh, you know, might, go well for me <laughs> might not be, not might be your cup of tea, but like having someone come in and do that, that I think that would be a very fascinating thing. Right. So, yeah. Um, there are still spots I would say that are open for disc golf. That can oh, be filled. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It, it's, there's still plenty, plenty of, of things out there. Uh, and, and even things that we just like, haven't even really thought of. Like I said, that day uh, Millie, I think is, I forget what he goes by. His name's Josh Miller. Yeah. He's just creating content that is fantastic. Whether you're a disc golfer or not, and it's stuff that I just never even thought to do. And then he just started doing it. And you're like, Oh shoot, that guy's going to be big here soon. Yeah, he's great. And, you know, I want to try. I was trying. I want to try hire that guy. I think I've talked be, to him many times. I've talked I think he'd be. A, I think he'd be a great addition to to foundation. I don't know. You know, I don't know if that's something of his interest, but uh, yeah, he seems like you know. I I try to keep my eye out on like some new creators and stuff on the disc golf side, 
I I really like the content that he puts out. I think it's very unique. Yeah. So he's good. Um, he's good. Yeah. Um, all right. I think that's all I have for tonight. Unless you have anything else that jumps out at you. No, I'm stoked for stoked for Ledgestone uh, to start tomorrow. It's crazy. It's already here where I feel like once Ledgestone happens, it's kind of just like a downhill ride to the end of the season. So like, I, I feel like the end of the season's right around the corner. I know we still got a few months, but it, it yeah. went by quick. It's crazy too that like we still have worlds in USDC. Like the two big I would say the two biggest tournaments of the year are still yeah. to come. So um very, very, very interesting there. Um picks. We normally do picks at this point in time at the end of the podcast. Obviously, it's Hunter, not Yuli. I would say Yuli, to be fair, because it is such a close race, I think we're just gonna hold off on picks at Ledgestone. Uh, probably smart, even though, even though Hunter, you probably do. Do you want to just kind of throw out who you think is going to win? Uh, yeah. Do you do top three or just winner? We, we pick, uh, we pick how many names we pick. We pick, we pick three names. So I'll give you, I'll give you three. I'll give you three people. You get three people in MPO. Yeah. My three is Ricky one, Calvin two, Gannon three. That's my three. All right. Those. Okay. So you just pick the three best players. Okay. No, I just I picked it based on history of this event. One name that I think you left out that I don't know who I would take off. Like I don't know who I would switch, but Isaac Robinson I think is going to play really well here. I like him out here. I really liked him at European Open, and that bit me in the butt. So I'm a little of a subject. <laughs> I just think I think. Uh, Anyone that was like successful at Champions Cup is going to be very successful at uh, Northwood, and then yeah. I think the style that Eureka has it's more similar to his kind of style. European Open's a little bit different, so that's why maybe he didn't do as well there. But he's done well at courses similar to Eureka, so that's another no, name. He's definitely. Would- he definitely could has a really good shot out there um, because he, he is one of the players that I think both courses suit his game pretty well, but it is interesting. I think, it, I think Northwood suits him a little bit better. So it, it will be interesting starting at Eureka. Mm-hmm. Like that could kill momentum before it ever starts. I know you love the momentum word, but that could like kill his tournament before it ever gets off the ground before he even gets a chance to go into Northwoods and do what he does. So it'll be yeah, like, watch. like exactly. Cause like, he's a type of player that, you know, he's outside the top 10 coming into the final round and then shoots the course record 13 under to move up to second place. Um, we haven't really seen him do that since last weekend. So if he gets <laughs> off to a slow start, it probably means that he probably has no chance of uh, playing hey, while the rest didn't of win it. Now second place. That is true. That is true. Fair point. Fair point. Had a, I've had a little better start. That's first. <laughs> that is that actually, <laughs> very, very true point. Very true point. Um, all right. Well, folks, that's going to do it. Uh, thanks again to Hunter for jumping in here with me. Uh, short notice. Thanks as always to Silas for running all the uh, all the gizmos and gadgets behind the scenes. And uh, thanks to all you guys for tuning in live here on YouTube or watching or listening to it rather uh, on Apple or Spotify after the fact. And uh, that's all we got for you this week. We'll see you next week. <laughs>